Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Uh, There's a famous saying that you may uh, have heard of before, and and it comes from this larger concept of this word judgment. Say judgment. There we go, judgment. We're going to talk about that a lot today, but no one really likes to be judged. We don't really like the concept of judgment a whole lot, especially when it's pointed our way. We, 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 we're not a big fan of what judgment means in our lives, and we usually try to avoid judgment in any way that we can. And this phrase that I mentioned, this phrase has kind of come out over time, is one maybe you've heard before, only God can judge me, right? You've heard that before? Only God can judge me. Maybe you've said it before, I'm not sure, but it's become really famous, especially in popular culture. There's a song named after that. There's movies with that in it. Even maybe you have it. Maybe you have a tattoo. It's a famous thing to put on a tattoo. Maybe you have a tattoo that says, only God can judge me. It's a famous quote in our popular culture that people hear. When they say that, what they mean is, hey, you don't have the right to say anything about my life. Only God, the one that I say I respect, he's the only one who can speak into my life. That's what the intention is when that phrase is said. But honestly, if we really slow down for a moment and think about it, that phrase should terrify us. When we say only God can judge me, there's a lot of weight behind that phrase, and we shouldn't say it flippantly. Why, why do I say that this phrase should terrify us? Well, because our God, we just sang it, God is a holy God. He's holy. This is an important word. I know a word you've heard before. I know you've heard it before because we just sang it, right? This is a word that we hear a lot in church, but I, I want us to try to grasp the depth of what it means when we say that God is holy. This idea of holiness, it means to be set apart. The holiness of God is his absolute moral purity. And so we as his creation, as human creation, we have sinned, and so we are not morally perfect. We are not pure. But God is, and because of that, he is separated, set apart from us. He is perfect in his very character, not just by what he does. And so when we, when we sing about and when we learn about and when we, we try to grasp this idea of God's holiness, and when we fir- firmly get a grasp on that, not only do we see the holiness of God, but then we begin to understand the seriousness of our sin as well. We see the seriousness of sin in our life, and God, he will judge sin because of his holiness. His character demands that he judges sin. So we're going to talk about this today a little bit, but in our culture, especially right now, people like to focus on the loving, kind aspect of God and his character. And man, he is that, and we'll see that. But also in his holiness, God does judge our sin. He must, if he is truly to be holy, if he overlooks sin, then he's not truly holy. And when we say, hey, God is just love, and and we just focus on that aspect, and surely everyone's going to spend forever with him because he is love, we're actually blaspheming his name because we're saying he's not that holy. We're speaking against the character of God. And so because of the holiness of God, there is judgment to come. That leads us to our question today. We've been in this last day's Q&A series looking at Um, the events of the last times. And our question today is, what is the final judgment? 
What is the final judgment? That sounds exciting to you today, right? We're going to dive into this idea of what is the final judgment. You see, we've, like I said, we've been in this last day series kind of working our way through. What's God's plan for Israel? What's the events of the last days? Last week you looked and we learned about the Antichrist and the characteristics and the strategy of the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist. So we've been talking about all of these events as part of the last days and the end times. But I want you to go to the end of the timeline with me. That's where we're going today. The end of the timeline of history as we know it. It's hard to fathom that, isn't it? But to the end of the timeline of history as we know it, the millennial reign has already happened. It's finished. And God is transferring all things to their eternal state. So not as we know them anymore. But things are being moved to the eternal state. And so we see in the book of Revelation, that's where we'll be today. You can turn to Revelation. The book of Revelation we see these prophecies of the, at the end of the Great Tribulation and the millennium and all this stuff. But at the end of the Great Tribulation, Jesus, he comes in power to rule and to judge over all the earth, over the sins of the earth. And so Revelation chapter 20 is after the millennium, and it sets the scene for the final judgment in which God settles the score and judges sin for those who are not found in Jesus Christ. You see, this final judgment, what we're going to talk about today in this question, what is the final judgment? There's another name for it. We're going to see why here in a moment. But it's the great white throne judgment. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. That's fine. But today we're going to look at this great white throne judgment. It's in Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11 is where we're going to be. We're going to read these verses together. 11 through 15 is where we see this. We're going to read it, and then we'll break it down as we go throughout the message. Let's stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 20. Verses 11 through 15 say this. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Heaven and earth fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we step into this moment of studying your word, will we do so with reverence and respect and awe? God, our Sunday mornings have been busy of different things we've had to do or have gotten to do. But right now, you want to speak to us. Will we turn our heart and our ears and our mind to you? Would we lean into how your spirit is guiding us, what is teaching us, transforming us? And God, as we read a text such as this today, it's a weighty one, it's a heavy one. So God, would you give us clarity and discernment? And God, what you do in this room, what you do with this message, what you do with this text, what you want to be done. God, I pray that the teaching of your word would transform us. I pray we would look more like Jesus when we walk out of this room than when we walked into it. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, as I've mentioned, and as you heard when I was reading it, this text today and this topic today in general is a really heavy one. There's a lot of weight to this. 
You see, John, if you're not familiar with Revelation, John is getting a vision. And he's receiving this vision, and this vision of this great white throne, it is overwhelming. All of the vision has been, and this moment is overwhelming to John. And honestly, as I've studied this and read it, and maybe for where you're sitting at in this moment, as we read this text, it's overwhelming for us right now to picture this, to think about the ramifications of it. And I want to tell you, the ramifications of this question and of this text They apply to every single person in this room and every single person listening to this message. They apply to all of us. This isn't just for a certain group of people. We all need to lean in because there's ramifications for everyone in this text today. I'll show you what I mean as I work through our message today. But what I want you to know, if you walk out of this room with anything, what I need you to hear clearly, the main idea of our message is this, that the only hope for this world is Jesus. The only hope for this world, hear me, is Jesus. That's it. I'm going to explain to you what I mean when I say that. But what I want you to do, in your mind's eye, if you could draw a picture in your head really quick, I want you to go to a courtroom. I want you to step into that courtroom. Some of our best, most dramatic moments in entertainment happen in a courtroom. You see, it's a place of high stakes. It's a place of a lot of drama that happens there. And you've seen different movies where this courtroom scene plays out. And man, it just has such an impact. And man, there's so much emotion tied to it. And there's so much ramifications from that courtroom moment. So think of that, if you would. Maybe you've been a part of one of those in person, not just from movies or television, but you've been in a courtroom before. And you know the anticipation that exists in the courtroom. You know the weight that exists in a courtroom as people are waiting to find out what their destiny holds for them. You see, some of the most greatest and dramatic moments happen in the courtroom. Some of the most heavy and tragic moments can happen in a courtroom. And there's important words when you think of a courtroom as you're drawing that picture in your head. There's words like judge, right? A judge is important. There's things like evidence, presenting evidence to build a case out. There's words like defendant, the person who is on trial, and who has a lot of weight on them. There is the verdict. Ultimately, what is going to happen as a result of this courtroom scene? And all of these words, judge, verdict, evidence, defendant, all of these words, they play out in this ultimate cosmic end of times courtroom scene that we see here in Revelation chapter 20. The first thing we see if you're taking notes, it's our first point is this, the supremacy of the judge. Say judge. The supremacy of the judge. We see this right off the bat in verse 11. The the judge is really important in a case, isn't it? The judge determines a lot, and so the judge is really important. So we see here in this courtroom case, in Revelation chapter 20, the supremacy of the judge. Look at verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Heaven and earth fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. So John sees this vision of a great white throne, and this is the place of final, eternal judgment. You see, the white symbolizes the purity and the holiness of the one who sits on the throne. But who is the one who sits on the throne? We need to know the judge. We need to know the identity of this moment in order to understand what is happening here. So who's the one who sits on the throne? Now, you may give me a Sunday school answer in this moment and guess it. But I want to show you evidence, because there's a little bit of debate of who actually will sit on the throne. And so I want to show you evidence from the Word of God that is really clear about the judge who sits on the throne. In John 5, it says this, The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. 
John 5, 26 through 27 says, For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. You see the evidence coming together in this moment? One more, Acts 17, 30 and 31. It says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So we see clearly here throughout Scripture, and there's more I could have read to you. We see clearly in Scripture that the one who sits on the throne is Jesus. He's the one in this moment, this great white throne, Jesus sits on the throne. And you may ask the question, maybe you don't ask this question, But we should ask this question, what makes him qualified to sit on the throne? Well, I would love to share some of his qualifications to be a judge with you, if you have a moment, if I could. You see, it starts all the way at the beginning, and it tells us in John chapter 1 was, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, Jesus existed from the very beginning, before time itself. And then it tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that all things were created through him and for him. So not only was he there, but he was orchestrating creation. And then this one who has always existed, the one who has created all things, he stepped out of that place to enter into his creation because creation had a great need. And he came with mercy and grace and compassion in his heart to live a life that we could never live. And during that life, I don't know, he did a few things like walking on water. He performed miracles. He rose the dead to life. He healed the sick and the lame. He did amazing things. And ultimately, the most amazing thing he did was he went to the cross. And on that cross, he declared, it is finished. He took your sin and my sin and put it upon himself and bore our punishment that we deserved. But the story wasn't done. Three days later, he rose from the dead, declaring that he is a victor over sin and death, and we can have victory through him. And then a little while later, he ascended back into heaven, where he is sitting on his throne, interceding for us on, uh, his, on our behalf. And we see in these last days, as we study the last days, he is a victor, holding all things together in his hands, speaking words of judgment. He is holding all things together. King Jesus is a qualified judge. King Jesus is a supreme judge like no other. You see, this King Jesus, who certainly has the qualifications, he also has a few different titles that we see throughout Scripture as well. You see, we, we like the title of Jesus. He, he's the Lamb of God, right? That's a good title. I love that title. He's the Lamb of God, our sacrificial lamb. And that's a beautiful, wonderful title, the Lamb of God. But he's also described as the Lion of Judah. He's a lamb, but he's also a lion. He is our Savior. And thank God he is our Savior. But not only is he our Savior, he is our judge as well. And every single one of us, hear me, every single one of us in this room has an appointment with Jesus Christ. Will you see him as a lamb or as a lion? Will he be the savior or the judge of your life? Because every one of us will stand before him. Every one of us has an appointment with him. And this judge is a supreme qualified judge. And he is the one who sits on the throne of this final judgment. And so because we have this appointed date and we have this judgment date we see in Revelation chapter 20, I want to make sure that we're prepared for this moment, what this moment means and what it looks like. Because not only do you have an appointment with King Jesus, 
but everyone you love has an appointment with King Jesus. Everyone in your family has an appointment with King Jesus. Everyone you work with has an appointment with this king. And will they see him as a lion or a lamb? This is really important because of our second point that we see. Our second point is this, the scope of the judgment. The scope of the judgment. Say judgment. That's our second point, the scope of the judgment. It's important because we need to see the ramifications of what this judgment means. We see this scope or these ramifications in the next few verses. And would you hear me, church? It's really sobering. Would we not read these nonchalantly, but would we feel the depth of what is happening here in these verses? Look at verses 12 and 13. We see the scope of the judgment here. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what is written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. As I use this word scope of the judgment, what I mean is the reach of the judgment, the the, the far reach of what this judgment is. And the first few words of these verses tell us about the reach and the scope of this particular judgment. You see, we we see uh, throughout Scripture that there's no favoritism when it comes to judgment. In this moment, there's no favoritism when it comes to judgment, but there is a separation here. There is a certain group of people who are standing before this great white throne. Who is it? Look back at 12, right there, very beginning. I also saw the dead. This is who's present at the great white throne. I also said the dead. I saw the dead. This dead means spiritually dead. So it means people who have already died physically, but they are dead in their sins. It also means those who are still at this moment alive physically, but dead in their sins as well. This is spiritually dead. The great white throne judgment hear me, it's for those who never surrendered their life to follow Jesus Christ. That's who's at the great white throne judgment here in Revelation chapter 20. But I need, I need to do some teaching for a minute if I can. We need to take a sidebar. If we can take a sidebar, we'll step back into this here in a moment. But in this sidebar, you may ask a logical question because it's how my brain works, so maybe your brain works this way. Evan, you just said that unbelievers, those who don't follow Jesus, are going to be at the great white throne. So where's the church? Like, where is the followers of Jesus, those who have been saved? That's a great question. You see, there's another judgment that happens at the beginning of the millennia called the Bema Seat of Christ, or the Judgment Seat of Christ. And this is for the church. This is for those who are following Jesus and have given their life to Jesus from all time. And we see Romans Romans chapter 14, verse 10. This is a, a book written towards believers. And hear what it says in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother and sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So believer, all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God, but not the great white throne judgment. Okay, you with me? We will stand before the Bema seat or the judgment seat of God. And at this judgment seat, it's a little bit different. We will be judged according to our works. But first of all, our sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And at this judgment seat, by our actions, we will be given rewards. We'll be given crowns. We see this throughout Scripture. We don't have time to go into all of it. But we will receive our eternal reward. You heard in the song earlier, we lay down our crowns at your feet, right? This is where we get those. And this is at the beginning of the millennial where we reign with King Jesus. So that is where believers are, great white 
throne is for unbelievers. But you may also ask, there's another question you may ask as we think through this. Evan, if the great white throne judgment is the moment where those who did not follow Jesus receive eternal punishment, where have they been up until this moment? Like if this is where they get cast into hell in the language we use today, where have they been up until this moment? Well, see, in this moment, we see at the end of our text, they are separated and thrown into the lake of fire. But now, those who have not followed Jesus, they are in Sheol, or more specifically, a place called Hades. We see this in the Word of God. And so Hades is a place of separation. We, we see this whole idea of Sheol uh, laid out really well by Jesus himself in Luke chapter 16. That's a whole other sermon you don't want me to preach today because you want to get home and eat lunch. But in Luke chapter 16, we see Jesus tell a story of a guy named Lazarus and this rich man. And as they pass away, we see they are in this place called Sheol, which is the realm of the dead. And it's divided into two, the place of blessing, which is where the poor man Lazarus is, and the place of torment, or Hades, which is where the rich man is. And so that's where they were separated. But now that we, Jesus has been resurrected, he died on the cross and resurrected, those, hear me clearly today, those who give their life to Jesus and pass away, those who are found in Jesus, are with Jesus in paradise. They are not in Sheol. Hear me. How can I say that? Because Jesus said it, right? If you remember, he was on the cross and he said to the thief, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, when they pass away, they are in the presence of Jesus Christ in what we call paradise. To those who do not, they are in Hades. This is a place of torment and Sheol for all those who reject them. So there's our sidebar there, just some teaching time for us to understand what's happening um, in God's plan here. But I want you to see the scope of this great white throne judgment is for all lost people. We need to know that. This great white throne judgment is for all lost people. And so keep looking at verse 12. It says, I also saw the dead, the great, and the small. The great and the small. Listen to me. It doesn't matter if you think you don't matter. It doesn't matter if you think you're insignificant or not important. It doesn't matter if you think you're super important or really successful. If you are not found in Jesus Christ, great and small, you will stand before the great white throne. Anyone throughout history who has not accepted Jesus will be there before the great white throne. Now, we don't like to think of these ideas, and I, and I get that. And this can be a hard concept for us to talk about sometimes because we want to focus on the loving side of God. But I, I, God gives us this for a reason, for us to know that there's an urgency to the gospel. And as we picture this idea of every unbeliever standing before the great white throne, I want to be specific in what I mean there. I want to tell you some people that will be there that day before the great white throne judgment and ultimately will be cast into the lake of fire. You see, some people who are there, they totally rejected God in their life. They didn't believe there was a God. They wanted nothing to do with God. They cursed God. They didn't want God at all. And they turned away from him. And obviously these people would be there. Their life was all about themselves and gratifying themselves, getting the most out of life that they could, nothing about God. These people who never turned towards God, they'll be there. And we're, we know that. But also, would you hear me that there's going to be people there that thought they were good. There's going to be people there that, that thought they were okay 
in their life, that they did really good things and they served other people and you know, that they attended church and they grew up in a part of the world that was culturally Christian. They were around the things of Jesus all the time and their family prayed before every meal and like they just did the things of God a lot, but they never actually gave their heart to follow Jesus Christ. They never actually sacrificed to follow Jesus. They never laid down their will, picked up their cross and followed him. They just did the things of God. You see, being on a church membership role does not get you into heaven. Only Jesus gets you into heaven. And so there's going to be people here this day that thought they were good because they thought they did good things, but good things don't get us there. Only Jesus gets us there. There's also going to be people there that day that just put it off. They've heard the gospel in moments like this. They've heard the gospel throughout their life, and they just kind of put it off, say, I can do that later. I don't need that right now, or like I'm, I'm going to kind of do what I want over here, but then when I get older, then I'll give my life to Jesus. I'll get straightened out at that point. They just procrastinated. In fact, today there's going to be an invitation moment, and there may be some in this room that you're going to want to procrastinate, that you're going to know that you should get up and come talk to a pastor or, or someone here at our church and say, I need to give my life to Jesus. But there's going to be something in you saying, nope, not today. Let's think about it some more. Let's wait some time. And friend, I can't promise what this afternoon holds for you. I can't promise what tomorrow holds for you next week, next year. But I know you're here right now. God has you here by his grace. And for some of us, today is the day that we need to respond to that message. Don't procrastinate any longer. These are some people that will be standing before the great white throne judgment. And how are each of these people judged? There's more than that, but how are the people that are standing before this judgment, how are they judged? Well, it tells us here how they're judged. It says, standing before the throne, the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. You see, the books were open. We don't have enough time to fully dive into what this means, but we see these books referenced throughout Scripture. And at the great white throne judgment, listen to me, every single person will be judged fairly and equally. They will be judged fairly according to their own works. It's not making up something. God's not just creating a case to, to be against people. But every action of theirs will be accounted for. Luke 12, verses 2 and 3 tell us this. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. What you have whispered in the ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Believer, would that be a warning to you today as well? But everything will be covered. They will be judged according to their works. And these book of works, they contain every action, every thought, all emotions of all the unsaved people that are there. And when the person steps up, when the lost person steps up for judgment, what does not happen is they're not judged by the standard of their neighbor. As their actions are laid before them, they're not judged by, well, I know you weren't perfect, but your neighbor was a lot worse than you, and so, like, you're doing okay. Not judged by the standard of your family. If you came from a good family or, man, if you did good things despite being in a tough family. You're not judged by the standard of your family. You're not judged by the standard of your community or those neighbors around you. The standard by which you're judged by is the standard of the judge himself. 
is that he, Jesus, the qualified supreme judge, he is the standard, and every single one of us falls short of that standard. I heard a preacher tell a story one time. There's a guy who was driving, and he's going down the road, and he gets in a bad accident. He, he spins off the road, and he, he wrecks his car, and the, the car catches fire as he's there, and he's stuck within the car, and he thinks he's about to die. And another car sees it, and this car pulls over, and this car runs up and goes and pulls the door open and cuts the seatbelt and gets the guy out before the entire car catches flames, and he saves him. This guy who was in the wreck is eternally grateful to this man for saving his life. Well, a few years later, the guy who was in the car accident, he, he, he commits a crime. And as he commits this crime, he has to go to court, and he has to be judged for this crime. And so he, he's really anxious and nervous about this, and so he goes to court to face his punishment. And as they say, all rise, and everyone in there stands up, he sees the judge walk in the room, and a sense of relief comes over this guy who was in the car accident because the, the judge is the one who saved him from the car accident. He says, hey, I know this guy. And man, like, surely, like, he saved me before. Surely he's going to have some mercy on me. He, he's been there for me before. Surely he's going to be there this time. And he looks relieved. And as they start, the judge looks at him. He says, when I saw you last... I was your savior, but in here, I'm your judge. What does this have to do with us? You see, right now, for us in this room, Jesus Christ is our savior. We live in the age of grace, and we have the ability to respond to the gospel and know Jesus Christ as our savior. Aren't you thankful for that? You live in a time where you can still respond to Jesus Christ as your savior, but there will be a day where he is no longer a savior in that way. But he is the judge for anyone who rejected him. And there's no turning back. There's no reversing the decision. The scope of this judgment touches every person, every thought, every action who rejects him. That leads us to the verdict of the judgment. We see here, point number three is this, the separation of the judged. The separation of the judge. Say judged. There we go. Separation of the judge. We see this in verses 14 and 15 of the separation of the judge. You see, the evidence was shown, and now the verdict has been determined. And the verdict is heavy. Hear me. The evidence was shown. Your works were laid in front of you. The standard was the judge, and now the verdict has come down, and the verdict is heavy. Look at verse 14 and 15. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We see death and Hades, body and soul joined together, are cast into the lake of fire, are cast into hell for eternity. No more chances. No, God, this is the second death. This is eternal. This is permanent. This is suffering. This is separated from God forever. And I don't say these things today to try to leverage a response out of you or try to cause fear in you because I want you to know the truth right here is clear, that this is an awful punishment. This is a great punishment, but would you hear me? This is a fair punishment. What God is doing here is a fair punishment. You say, Evan, how could you say that? How could a loving God, how could he send his creation, people you say he loves, how could he send them to the lake of fire for all of eternity? 
Because in Matthew 10, 33, it says, But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. You see, only one defense when the unbeliever has to step up to the great white throne, only one defense is adequate. doesn't matter if you try to compare yourself to others. doesn't matter if you say, hey, weigh my good works versus my bad works. It doesn't matter how much often you, you did things that you thought were the right things. There's only one defense that is adequate when you step before the great white throne, and that defense has a name, and his name is Jesus. Nothing we do on our own, only through Jesus. You see, to put it like this, I think Adrian Rogers does a great job helping us understand how a loving God gives this to people. Adrian Rogers says, when we choose to live life our own way, we are saying, God, not your will, but mine be done. And then when a brokenhearted God sends them to their eternal destination, he will say, not my will, but yours be done. You see, these people who stand, these unbelievers, these lost people who stand before the great white throne judgment, they made up their mind. They rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and God is giving them what they asked for. You didn't want God, well, you're separated from him for eternity. So now what? So we see this idea of this great white throne judgment. What do we do with this? Well, I told you at the beginning, this message, this great white throne judgment has a ramification for every single person in this room today. And that's true because I told you at the beginning, every single one of us has an appointment with Jesus. Will that be as the lion or as the lamb? But there's even more to it than that. Hey, for some of you, you're in this room today. You've heard this message and you've seen the testimony of Casey and these students. Like, you've seen this and you would say today, Evan, I'm not confident my name would be in the Lamb's Book of Life, but today I want to surrender my life to Him. I don't want to stand before the great white throne judgment. I don't want to be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. And hear me, I don't want to drive a decision out of you based off of fear because it's not just about your eternal life that matters. But I also want to offer you Jesus today because Jesus himself said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And life the way it was intended to be lived, the way the creator made it is only found in Jesus for now and eternity. And so if you're in this room and you're not confident that your full faith has been placed in Jesus Christ, that you have laid down your will, you've picked up your net to, to follow him, you've laid down your net, you've followed him, you've picked up your cross, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, would today be that day because I don't know what tomorrow holds for you. But I want you to know Jesus, I want you to know life and life more abundantly, I want you to know eternity with him. So friend, would today be the day you make that decision? also said, hey, this has ramifications for every person in this room and believer in the room. One who says, I know I'm found in Jesus already. Well, you would say, I'm safe and secure. Evan, thanks for teaching me this topic, but I'm safe and secure. I'm good. I'm going to be at the Bema seat. I'm not going to be there. So Evan, I'm good. Would you hear today that as believers, this great white throne judgment, this eternal separation should cause us to have a passion and an urgency with the gospel. 
that it is our job, God is using us to go out of this room to go tell everyone who needs to know about Jesus. So they're not standing there one day. God loves them. God sent his son for them. God allowed you to know the gospel message and now God wants to use you to take that gospel message. Christianity isn't just about gathering up in this room to have a good time together. It's about leaving this room to take the good news of Jesus with us. Would it create an urgency and a passion with us that every person we come across would know about the goodness of Jesus Christ? This should be the conviction of our life. Every step we take should be because of the gospel, because eternity is eternity. And believer, you have a message to share. Charles Spurgeon once said this about this idea. He said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions. Let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Believer, that's our job. And so today, your response, the invitation I would like to offer to you is maybe in this moment, as you've heard of the ramifications of this judgment, God has laid someone on your heart that you know you need to share the gospel with. I would love to pray for you that you would have the boldness this week and the courage to share the gospel. But sometimes I think we need to tear that down. It's not so much about courage, man. It's about loving that person and sharing this message with them. And so maybe you have someone on your heart. And in this invitation time, we'll have some of our team, some of our people up here. And maybe you just need to walk down. This happened in the chapel service. You got an opportunity to pray with two of our women over some names that they had in their life that need to know the gospel. Maybe you would walk up here and say, hey, would you pray for this person? that they would come to know the gospel. So unbeliever, would you respond today? Would you give your life to Jesus because you don't know what tomorrow holds and in him has found life and life for eternity? Believer, would you pray passionately for someone who's lost in your life and would you have an urgency to go share the gospel with them? Because as I told you at the beginning, the only hope for this world is Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, as you're working in this room in this moment, would you convict us? Would you move us? Would you do what you want to do? And God, I pray in this moment for those in this room who are not certain that they know you. They've never taken that step to surrender their life to you. Would today be the day they do that? Would they not hesitate? Would they not procrastinate? Would they not trust their good works? Would they not trust that they're just sitting in church today? Because our only defense is the blood of Jesus. And so today, would that be the day they surrender their life? Would they walk this aisle? Would they talk to a pastor? Would they talk to a friend about what it means to give their life to Jesus, to surrender to him? God, as believers, would we have an urgency to go out to share this gospel message for every day you give us, God, on this earth? I pray for the names of those on our hearts right now that we know need to hear the gospel. God, would you move in their life? Would you draw them to you? God, would we be good stewards of this gospel message? God, this idea of this judgment is overwhelming and weighty. But you give it to us for a reason, so we would have urgency and conviction in sharing our faith. Would we do that this week? In your name we pray.
Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.